0: in Matthew chapter 9, verse 32. And while you're turning there, I just wanted to recognize Felix. Felix is home for a couple of days. Felix, stand up. I really, I, I know your mom is happy. <laughs> Felix is, is very happy. Uh, Felix is on leave from the Air Force, correct? Yep. And we really appreciate your service to our country and, and all that you do. I know it's emotional. I know it's emotional visiting family, and especially the night before Thanksgiving, your mind could be going a million miles an hour right now, thinking of what you have to do for tomorrow and picking up stuff or making the, did I get all the things that I need for tomorrow, right? All, all that, th- unless you're a guy, then you don't have to worry about it. But it's, it's just one of those things, especially on, on a, yes, except for John in the back there, <laughs> But you understand what it means, especially in the time of Jesus that we're talking about here. They, too, had schedules. They, they too, had lives that were full and busy. This wasn't just a, a group of guys just wandering around, doing what they wanted to do, maybe casting some nets every so often or doing a couple of miracles here and there. No, their lives were packed. Their lives were busy. And hopefully you've seen that as we've been walking through, especially starting in chapter 5. Now that we're in chapter 9, just seen over and over again, this is uh, action-packed, one thing right after another, all this Sea of Galilee going from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, and then going back, and all these miracles that are happening. In fact, in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew, you have more miracles being performed than any other two-chapter part of the entire Bible so many miracles being performed matthew lists the most miracles that jesus performs out of all the gospels 27 miracles are mentioned just in the book of matthew and we come to the very end of the book of or chapter 9 here of the miracles that jesus is performing and we read this last week and it's amazing just just how the perspective of the people that are watching these miracles It says there in chapter 9, verse 32 of Matthew, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, and this is the way it always is, and you're going to find this tomorrow, even around the same family table, you're going to have people that agree and people that argue, people that have these uh, prejudices already preconceived in their minds. It, it, they say, he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. And then Jesus went out about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so that is our prayer tonight, Lord, as we approach this section. And Lord, it's truly a privilege to know that we can come before you at any time and pray and just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are there to hear us whether we just prayed a couple of minutes ago or haven't even prayed all day, to know that you are there listening to our prayers. We can call out to you in our times of desperation, in our times of joy, in our times where we just want to talk to you and know that you listen to us. Lord, we thank you for your acceptance of us. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your compassion and mercy and grace poured out upon us and just as we sang we run to resurrender to you knowing that the security that we have is only found in you that we can base our lives upon the rock you lord and so lord as we read these these passages tonight the these amazing um stories from your life lord and and just how you had to deal with people that were difficult to deal with uh, just like we do lord help us to see your perspective help us to see uh your wisdom and how you handled these things in jesus name we pray amen amen so you have two different groups of people here you have the multitudes and and the multitudes uh jesus is always compassionate to them in, in fact here at the the first two verses that we read and then the last uh three verses four verses that we read here at the end of the chapter we see uh, Jesus' response to uh, these multitudes. These are people that, that are just common people. They live in the Sea of Galilee region. These are people that you know, don't necessarily have any notoriety amongst them. They're not known for their education or anything. They just have a desire to work. And as he's going amongst them, he notices something about them. They are without a shepherd. They're looking for a leader. They're looking for someone that cares for them. You remember, whether it's Psalms 23 or throughout the scriptures, especially in the book of John, we we see Jesus always being compared to a shepherd, right? He he is the good shepherd. He, He is the one that loves the sheep, that actually lays down his life for the sheep and and you see this in real terms here in this passage. these multitudes are coming to him they're in need they're in desperate need and they just want someone that would listen to them and care for them and be there for them verse 36 there it says but when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Uh, it's truly amazing the compassion of Jesus Christ for those that that were just tossed to the wind, that, that didn't have a, a, a religious leader that was there uh, for them. And, and of course, you had the priests of this day and there were synagogues and, and there was leaders in those synagogues, but it was all about, unfortunately, the religious caste system. It was all, all about the, the money, if you will, or how to fleece the flock, unfortunately. And Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, the harvest truly is plentiful. Tomorrow you're going to be eating lots of food. This is the time of the year when we normally celebrate harvest, right? Especially in terms of abundance, especially in this country. You think of even if you don't make a lot of money or don't have a lot of money or all these things that we put ourselves in these situations where we think that we don't have as much as someone else, we truly are blessed in this country. I was at Albertsons today, and of course, you go into any store, and what do you see just piled up? Turkeys after turkey. And they said, oh, we have 100 turkeys here, and we're probably not even going to be able to sell them all. Just an overabundance at times of food, right? And you think of people around the world, the people in the time of Jesus, that he's looking out there, and he sees the abundance of the people and their need for compassion their need for love their need for grace their need uh, for mercy and he looks at those 12 men and we're going to see the list of these 12 men in the very next chapter here but he sees these 12 men that are following him and he says the laborers are few though the laborers are few and and you think of in, in any church it doesn't matter what church you go to. Most of the people come, and I'm not talking about any of you because you guys come on Wednesday nights, and you guys, many of you serve faithfully throughout throughout the week. But the, those people that aren't here, those people that just come on certain times of the year, the CEOs, the Christmas and Easter only people, and, and, and you think of all the things that is needed in the world today, in, in our own community, in the church and the desire for people to labor the desire for people to pray the desire for people to serve and jesus says this the very last verse therefore pray the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest but what was the response of the pharisees what was the response of the pharisees you have the multitude they're longing they're They're in great need, and then you have these Pharisees. These are the religious leaders, and what was their preconceived notion of Jesus? Without any form of open mind, they just have a closed mind. They have a hard heart. They have a stiff neck, and what do they say immediately about these miracles? Everyone else is marveling except for the Pharisees, except for these religious leaders. What do they say? Oh, he must be a demon himself. He must be serving the the king of the demons. He must be serving those that are the rulers of the demons in order to cast out the demons. And of course, you already know this, that this is a farce. This is completely false. If anyone were to do that, what would happen to any kingdom? It would be divided, right? Jesus amongst these people, he has this compassion, but to the Pharisees, he goes after them hard. In chapter 10 of verse 1, we get this list. And by the way, this list we're going to see in all four of the Gospels and also in the book of Acts as well. Uh, But it's just a little bit different. Some of the names are, are a little bit different here. In chapter 10, verse 1, it says and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Not only does Jesus have the ability to heal people, but who else as well? The disciples, okay? And look at who these disciples are. And you, Most of these already, most of these are fishermen. Most of these are blue-collar workers. They don't have any education, per se. They don't have any religious training, uh, per se. But who gives them this power? Jesus. Look at the names here, verse 2. Now, the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. He's the one that we were introduced to in the previous chapter, the writer of this gospel here. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also... Uh, betrayed him. Now, you see some interesting things here, and again, if you compare it to the uh, other lists in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, and the book of John, and the book of Acts as well, uh, you'll see that some of these names are different. In fact, if you look at Bartholomew's name, his name is actually Nathaniel in uh, Luke and Acts, and then you have this guy by the name of Thaddeus, who in uh, Luke and Acts also is named Judas, the son of, of James. But just by reading this list, you come across these various professions, these various types of people. First of all, you have fishermen, okay? Fishermen, what do fishermen do? They fished. These were guys that lived around the Sea of Galilee. Their living was on this lake, this very large lake. They probably had very calloused hands. They probably had uh, very rough lives having to deal with not only the weather of the area, but also the seasonal nature of, of their work as well. Certain times of the year that it would be perfectly calm, and other times of the year it's the stormy and all these various weather conditions uh, that they, they worked with their hands were calloused. And then you have this other guy by the name of Matthew, who was the author of this book, by the way, who was a tax collector. And what was he? Accountant, right? He worked for the Roman government as an accountant, right he He would basically take money from his own countrymen and give it to the Roman government and then you have this other guy in this list and in other gospels it actually says zealot, but he's Simon the Canaanite or Simon the zealot. He wanted to have an independent Israel completely without any Roman authority at all. He, he was a guy that that hated the Roman government. From fishermen with callous hands to people that that didn't work in terms of calluses or just worked with their minds. And then you have these various ideologies. You have a person who was working for the Roman government and a a person who didn't want anything to do with the Roman government. You had these men who lived around the Sea of Galilee. You had these other people that had lived in various places throughout Israel. And Jesus brings all these men together. And they all have one thing in common. They follow Jesus. They had a desire to follow Jesus. Just like us in this room, right? Different classes, different work, different abilities, different talents, different gifts. And God brings all those things together to edify the church, to build up the church. It's, It's amazing how Jesus is able to do this not uh, diminishing any one person but using all these people for one purpose and what's that one purpose it's to go In fact, that's what he gives them the power to do he gives them the power to go in fact we remember in in chapters 5 through 7 he instructs them And then in chapters 8 and 9, he shows them the power. He shows them the ability to be able to heal people. And now in chapter 10, he tells them to go. He gives them the ability to be able to uh, go. It's amazing how Jesus always, in his perfect timing, brings about instruction and then showing the people and then sending them, just like he does today. He, he doesn't just take someone that's new in the faith and that just immediately sends them out. No, hopefully what we do, especially as disciplers, as people that disciple other Christians, we make sure that we give them the tools to be able to go, that they wouldn't just fail right away. And, and the privilege, especially in a, a church like Calvary Chapel, that we have so many times throughout the week, No matter what your schedule is, you you can find something that's here, whether it's a Bible study or or the ability to be able to learn certain things in order to grow and then go. In verse 5, this is exactly what happens. These 12, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. and Do not enter a city of the Samaritan but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. for a worker is worthy of his uh, food. We we read something similar to this when we were in the book of, of Malachi, when we finished the Old Testament there, and understanding that the, the worker is always worthy of his uh, wages. And we understand that, especially those of us that have to work, you go and you whether it's an employer or a person that you serve or a person that you work for. And what is the response when you give a day's work that they pay you? And we understand that. And whether it's a check or some sort of a W-2 that you get or some sort of a pay statement, and you make sure that everything is correct on there, hopefully, right? You make sure that your employer is paying you the right amount, whether you worked a certain amount of overtime on a certain day or did this or changed that or whatever it is, and you want to make sure that you're paid correctly. What is Jesus doing to his 12 disciples? He's sending them out with nothing that they're carrying of themselves. And what do they have to do when they go out? They have to trust. They, they don't have anything of their own. In fact, they don't even have fishing rods. They don't even have nets. Uh, Matthew doesn't have his quill and, and, and ink, right? He doesn't have any of his paper. They, they have no way of making a wage at this time. Who are the ones that are going to provide for them? Who are the ones that they go to? Look at what it says there verse 11. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there until you go out. This is the first thing that they provided, a place to stay, right? A place to stay. And this is the way that God always works in his amazing majesty, always works these things out, whether it was Elijah or Elisha or the various prophets, there was always a place for them to stay. In fact, Jesus says this, that the Son of Man has no home, has no place to lay his head even. But yet, every single time you read about where Jesus stays, he stays in houses. Not his own, but he stays in houses, right? And and the same thing with the apostles as they're going out. The first thing is, is a house, and then the second thing here in verse 12 And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment then for that uh, city is that scary is that scary who is backing up the promise to the apostle Who, who, who is the guarantee if you will of the way it's jesus christ right and can you imagine thinking of Lot all the way back in the book of Genesis and remembering what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah and these 12 apostles going out with this understanding that the Lord's going to provide for them? He's going to protect them. What's the best place to be in? Pastor said it last Sunday in the center of the will of God. And what's the worst place to be anywhere else, right? These 12 men that go out, I don't know how they were divided up. I don't know if it was the brothers that went out each with each other or or it was Matthew and and this other zealot that went out or how Jesus matched them up. We don't know exactly. But it's amazing to see how God chooses all these different personalities, all these different men, and uses them for his kingdom unified. And, and, And this is the way God always works. He always brings together people that outside of Christ are mismatched or or even at odds with one another. But, But when Jesus comes into the mix, what happens? He creates unity. What are the two things you're not allowed to talk about at the dinner table tomorrow night? Yeah, religion and politics, exactly. That, yeah, I grew up in a very loud, especially on the Jones side. We would always go to my aunt's house on um, Thanksgiving, and, and my dad and his brothers and his sisters, and, and me and my cousins—they they were loud, always loud. You think I have a loud voice? They are loud, right? It, it, it's one of those things when you come together as a family. And again, they all had different abilities. They all had different talents. They all had different levels of finances and where they lived in terms of their houses and stuff like that. And then coming together and seeing how they would just forget about all those things. They're just brothers and sisters again. They're just family. And they come back together. And yes, there was, would be not so much arguments at times, but loud discussions, if you will. But it's amazing what a family does. And this is what Jesus does in the body of Christ. He creates a family. We we are the family of God. And you see it here amongst these 12 men that Jesus Christ has gathered from all different parts, all different places of life, and brings them together in unity to go out and bring more people in. And in fact, we see here, that the initial group of people or the initial audience is going to be the Israelites here uh, when Jesus is here on the earth. In verse 16, uh, we pick up the rest of what Jesus is telling them. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father, who speaks in you? Do we worry a lot about what we're going to say? In fact, I I can think of nights, if not weeks, where I I would just go over conversations in my head. I I I need to say this, or I have to say it this way, or I, I ha- you try and work these things out, and then when you actually do it, or when you actually say it, it turns out totally different. And why why do we worry in the first place? just who we are right none of us are isolated in this but the understanding is who gives us the right words to say at the right who promises to give us the right words at the right time and again these are uneducated men that they weren't eloquent in speech and jesus is giving them not only the power but also the right words to say at the right opportunity and does he do the same thing today if we just trust in him if we just ask him in fact that's exactly what it says but when they deliver you up do not worry about how or what you should ask for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak isn't that amazing whether, whether it's someone that you're dreading telling them about Jesus Christ, that person that's going to be across the dinner table that, that you know is going to have that wrong way of thinking or that prejudice toward you or that attitude that you just hate or whatever it is, those things that always come up, it seems like at the dinner table or at work or when you get in the car. whatever it is Do, do you understand that jesus gives us the correct words to say if we just ask him if we just trust him despite the guarantee of rejection and persecution the holy spirit will be with them they were going to suffer persecution they were going to go through hard time there were going to be people That we're going to reject them jesus told them that point blank but how is our response we need to trust the lord ask him for wisdom verse 21 and this is absolutely perfect for uh, the night before a big holiday now brother will deliver up brother to death and Father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved, and when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. But for assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. Jesus had gone through it all first. Jesus was rejected first. Jesus went through all those temptations first in the wilderness that we read all the way back at the beginning of the book of Matthew. All these things that Jesus is promising to his disciples, he had already gone through as the example for them. And aren't you glad that he does? Because going to ask him for wisdom? Was he tempted in every way like us, yet without fault, yet without sin? Every temptation, every sin that we've ever experienced in our lives, has Jesus already conquered it and is he always the best source to go to? Has he already gone through all the problems? Has he already gone through all the tribulations? has he already gone through those things that we ourselves face in life and yet even to a greater extent even look at what he says there in the rest of these verses that a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master what he's saying here in terms of understanding what a master or a servant or a teacher or a student jesus is instructing these disciples they're going to hate you, not because of you, not because of you're a fisherman or you're a tax collector or you're a certain part of the country, geography or a certain class. No, they're not going to hate you for that. They're going to hate you because you follow me. That's why they're going to hate you. And if we really understand that, it it takes the offense off of us and puts it on Jesus Christ. It, it takes that that fear if you will they're gonna they're gonna reject me no they're not rejecting you who are they actually rejecting jesus it's when i present the gospel when i talk about jesus it's not me that's being offensive or even rejected it's jesus christ because they hate jesus in fact that's exactly what it says there in verse 25 it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. For they have called the master of the house Beelzebub. How much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. You guys know what Beelzebub means? It means Lord of the Flies. I remember reading a book by that same title, right? This is one of those titles that is given to Satan himself. This is one of those titles that Satan has, and what they were doing is they were ascribing this title to Jesus in the wrong way. Because what do flies attract to? Yeah, that's the PG word, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you see them always gathered around the waste, right? You, you always see them. Ga- and, and, and this is what they're always attracted to. And, and if you really picture this, it becomes humorous. Because Satan is always attracted to waste or dung. And, and Jesus always brings life. He, he, he gives worth to someone. You're, you're, you're not dung. You're worth something to Jesus. And, and this is the privilege that you understand when you really appreciate what, what Jesus is doing, not only to his disciples, not only to the apostles, but also to the multitudes as well. The religious leaders were putting them down. Satan puts them down. The enemy puts them down. But well, what is Jesus doing? He's showing compassion. He's building them up. He's giving them worth, right? He's telling his disciples to do the same. Verse 27 brings this out. And and Jesus is doing this in multiple illustrations. He's doing this, if you don't get it with this illustration, you're going to get it with this illustration. And in verse 27, he gives a, a different illustration for the same thing. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not Fear, therefore, you are more more value than many sparrows. How, How much does God value you? And this is what Jesus is showing to his disciples. Despite the fact that they're not carrying anything, despite the fact that they're having to be dependent upon other people, what is he saying about them? I make you worthy. I make you worthy. If Jesus is in your life, are you worthy because of who he is? And the other thing that's mentioned here multiple times, by the way, is do not fear. Okay, Who's the one that gives us courage? Who's the one that helps us in every single situation? It's always what Jesus does in our lives. He, He changes our attitude toward those that are around us. That fear that you once have, he can take it away because of who he is inside of you right now. remember these are the guys that you know weren't eloquent they were scared to speak in fact multiple times we see throughout the scriptures that that there was instances where they were scared, where they didn't trust, where they failed even. and what does Jesus do over and over again? He gives them the ability Get up again to recover, to come back to him. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The, these two sparrows, this would have been the, the lowest form of a sacrifice. This would have been the two birds that were supposed to be given in terms of a sacrifice for poor people. Normally, what would happen is if you were middle class or rich or something like that, you had to give a, a lamb. And when we were looking at this, when we were reading the beginning of Matthew, a baby that was firstborn, a son that was firstborn, always had to be redeemed or bought back. And a sacrifice always had to be given. And for Mary and Joseph, they actually gave this, what was called the poor sacrifice, these two turtle doves or these two birds, okay? And they were given as the payment for jesus or the payment for the firstborn son and this is the picture here how much did these two sparrows cost less than that right Le- less than a day's oh wait. It-, it-, it says it here that two sparrows so- sold for a copper coin okay our our pennies aren't even made out of copper anymore right they're mostly zinc unless it's before the 70s or something like that, and then they were pure copper. But nowadays, if you put a Bunsen burner to a penny, it melts, right? It completely dissolves. The old days, it would always just turn red. And this is the difference. This is the understanding that, that what does Jesus value us as? More than all of creation, more than all the birds, more than all the animals, how much does Jesus value us? more than anything in all of creation right we're the ones that are molded after in the likeness of god made in his likeness and this is the ones that jesus reaches out to verse 32 there therefore whoever confesses me before men him i will also confess before my father who is in heaven but whoever denies me before him men him i will also deny before my father who is in heaven do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. When those conversa- those hard conversations come up, whether, whether it's publicly or, or just maybe with an individual that you meet with, maybe it's someone that that is your brother or your sister or your family member, whatever it is, who would you rather offend? This, this is what Jesus is saying here. Who would you rather offend? a person or god who 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 would you rather have uh, you know commend you a, a person or god a, a, and who would you rather as it says here in, in this section here who would you have confess you or deny you We value the opinion of people many times higher than the opinion of God. We would rather be tiptoeing around people, not offending people, than actually offending God. People's opinions are fickle. People's opinions change. But how long, and th- this is always by the grace of God, thank God that he gives us multiple chances. Thank God he's, he, he, he gives us multiple opportunities to make up for this. But do you understand what it means to stand before God and say, say you know, I, I, I denied you before people rather than confessing you. Th- th- this is what Jesus is talking I about. Mean, this is serious business. Now again, thank God that he gives us multiple opportunities. To, to tell people and talk to people. And, and yes, there's times when we fail. And thank God that God gives us those opportunities over and over again, just like he gave to us, right? His grace is sufficient. His grace is always there. But the understanding is, who would I rather offend? That that, that question in the back of your head, who would I rather disappoint? A person who is temporary or, or God who is eternal? we'll finish it up here and uh, again just all these things that 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 are very common especially this time of year Uh, what does it say there in verse 35 for i have come to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law wow and a man's enemies will be those of his own household wow did god see ahead and know that this would happen did god see your family who, who who do we stand up for? Who Who is our real family? It, it, it's not just the blood. It, it's it's who we are in terms of Christ. Because that family is eternal. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me. Is not worthy of me. And who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. What is it like to find? And, and this is every single one of us have to wrestle with these words. I, I can't answer these things for you. I can't make these decisions. For, none, none of us can. We, we all have to wrestle with these things. And of course, you realize that the cross meant death at this time when when you when you carried the cross you were taking it to the place where you were going to die and what jesus is saying here is who would i who would you rather serve who would you rather be worthy of and, and we always strive to be worthy of people that are going to disappoint us rather than understanding that there's one uh, who already sees us as perfect, seated in the heavenly. And wouldn't I rather serve him? Wouldn't I rather desire his approval rather than the approval of human beings or people? And by the way, God always changes heart. That person that you're maybe trying to be valued by or to work up to or to get their approval from God can give that approval much better and he can change the heart of even the hardest heart. Because what does God do even amongst those that are enemies? God can reconcile, right? God can bring it about. It says it here in the very last three verses here. He receives you, receives me. He receives me, receives him who sent me. He receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. There's a reward in this for the people that are opening up their homes. There's a reward in this. There's a blessing in this for those that receive the apostles. There's a blessing in this when they give to uh, the apostles. They themselves, the people that are receiving this, will be blessed too. He receives a righteous man in the name of righteous men just receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Does God see all those things you do in private for his name's sake? And when we work for people or when we work to be seen by people, I should say, when you purposely wait for that person that you want to see you and then you do whatever it is that you're trying to impress them with and they do this or they thank you or they give you a pat on the back, that's your reward. It's temporary. And guess what? They're probably going to forget. But who doesn't forget? Who doesn't forget? God does. He sees those things you do in private. And especially this time of the year, whether it's someone that you come into contact, your sphere of influence, or, or that person that you know, and that the Lord is pricking your mind or convicting you even right now. And he says, go and, and tell them or go there and do something for them or go there just to be nice to them or whatever it is. And, and God will see it. No one else may see it. That person that even that you're ministering to may completely forget it, but does God never forget? And are his rewards eternal? And th- th- this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Go out to people that they're gonna forget, but I'm not going to forget. God's not gonna forget. And he's gonna reward you openly and those rewards are gonna last a lot longer than your meal tomorrow will. And it'll make you a lot more healthy, right? So dear Father, I thank you so much for the book of Matthew. Thank you so much for the gospels, the good news. I thank you so much for the example that, that you give to us. And then the example of these 12 men, just 12 ordinary men, 12 men that came from different walks of life and different careers and and, and abilities and, and and education levels and and just different personalities and how you brought them together to be used in your perfect harmony and your perfect will and you, you do the same thing today just e- even in this room lord even in this church e- even in 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 bakersfield itself and just that privilege of seeing how you bring together uh such a, a variety of people at uh, and then use us in that beautiful menagerie of building a beautiful body, a beautiful church, a, a beautiful building that, that glorifies you. Lord, we thank you for giving each and every single one of us here, even tonight, that, that, that know you personally, that those gifts that you give us to edify and build up the church. Those things that, that we take into our, our own families or our, our own communities, our own spheres of influence use those gifts for your glory tell other people about you lord tonight or tomorrow that that fear that we may have lord please take it away that 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 person that we know we're going to run into lord please help us to have that heart for them that you had we ask for your words we ask for your wisdom lord we ask for your ability and then just let us see you work in majestic ways, Lord. I ask that you bless these my friends and my family. We go our separate ways this week. I ask that you use us for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.